Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Major League Baseball playoffs have started, and do you know what that means? It's time to harvest your popcorn. However, it's still not ready for eating. So how do you know when it's ready to be popped? We have the popcorn harvesting tips for you today. The plant of the week, it's widely adaptable throughout the West, the South, and up through the Carolinas and Virginia. It's salvia, the sage plant. In particular, we are talking about the autumn sage, a real hummingbird magnet. Starting a new lawn in USDA Zone 9 right now? Are there watering restrictions thwarting your efforts? There's a way around that. It's all on episode 145 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. You can get them in in a variety of ways. You can email them in to fred at farmerfred.com. You can give us a call, 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. I'd like it if you'd use SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. You just go to that website, speakpipe.com, find Garden Basics. And then yell at your computer the question. It's that easy. You don't have to yell, but try it. You just might hear your voice on the Garden Basics podcast. You can also text us at those numbers, too, that I gave you, 916-292-8964. If you want to attach pictures or so, you can leave us a message at the Farmer Fred uh, Facebook page. It's the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And did I leave anybody out? Oh, just the usual culprits, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We got this question in from Kevin in Oakley, California. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. Oakley, not to be confused with Oakland, but in the same general area, the uh, eastern portion of the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, Kevin writes in and says, Hi, Fred. My popcorn plants look like they could be doing better. They are fading to a lighter green and starting to yellow. I fertilized them with fish emulsion and didn't notice any improvement. I water them every other day when it's hot outside. Should I thin them out? I planted them on six-inch centers. Maybe that's part of the problem, too. The other issue I can think of is sunlight. This spot gets about six to seven hours of sun a day. Any advice you have would be appreciated. I've grown a lot of popcorn in my time. And, Debbie, they like full sun. Yes. They they need as much sun as possible. You they, had it out here in in a, a barrel in full sun, even reflected sun. Yeah. And uh, they produced uh, ears of corn this year. I can't wait to uh, let them cure and uh, pop them up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was successful. And for that area, which was a very hot area, they did just fine. So I'm keeping that in mind. But, yeah, uh, what else could it be besides uh, sunlight and the fact that he does have them planted a little too close together? They should be, I think, about 12 inches apart. Yeah, plants that are planted too close together usually don't produce. They don't flower. Uh, so that I think they should be uh, thinned, and he's, he mentioned that as a possibility. And when you do thin, don't pull. Just cut them off at the ground. Uh, if you pull, you'll disturb the roots of the ones that are, you're going to leave in the ground. 
Good point. Yeah. Yeah. The other is he talked about them fading to yellow and that he waters every other day. And he did use fish emulsion. Fish emulsion has some nitrogen, which is the first number on any fertilizer container. And nitrogen is needed for green growth. Uh, there is lots of nitrogen in each chlorophyll molecule. And chlorophyll is the green molecule, the green pigment that we see in the plant. So I'm suspecting that it's nitrogen deficient. Nitrogen moves very easily with water. So if you put a little on and then you water and water and water every other day, I have to water things every other day in my garden too. But it, it, So that's not a problem. It's just that the nitrogen can wash out. So maybe when he waters, he could follow up with a little fish emulsion or some other source of nitrogen. As I said, fish emulsion is not very high in nitrogen. Corn is what we call a heavy feeder. It's actually a grass. It's in the same family as fescue and Kentucky bluegrass and the other kinds of grass we use in our lawns. And what kind of fertilizer do we put on a lawn? Nitrogen. Yeah, lots of nitrogen. Lots of nitrogen. Yeah. And if you're using fish emulsion, and that's how I fertilized uh, my popcorn when I'm growing it, uh, I did apply it every week. Every week. Yeah, and that, that's follow, follow, still following label directions, but it's... At like, the rate listed on the label then. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, uh, a regular feeding. Uh, and like you say, it depends really on the consistency of your soil. If it's sandy soil, that uh, nitrogen could disappear quickly. Right. And nitrogen, regardless of your... Well... Of all the nutrients we apply to plants, it moves the fastest out of the soil with water. It can be a gas very easily. It can also be a gas very easily, yes. If you yeah. put it on the surface, it can become a gas. In fact, there's more nitrogen on Earth in the gas form than in any other form. A lot of good that does for plants. Well, that's... We could go on another... Yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> into right. nitrogen fixation. <laughs> well, that, that would be the cover crop episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, right. All right. But basically, Kevin, I think this might be a situation of wait till next year uh, because it's getting a little late in the season, uh, even though it is uh, early fall, but still not as many hours of sunlight in the day and the sun is lower in the horizon. And... Uh, Based on my experience, the best time to harvest popcorn is when the whole stalk has turned brown and you've got one or two ears and then you can harvest those ears. But don't pop them up immediately. They're still too moist. You're looking for a, a moisture content of 13 to 17 percent. And I found that uh, just storing them where they can get air on all sides, so storing them in a, a nylon bag or uh, something like an orange bag, something with a lot of uh, circ air circulation in it for and keeping it in that bag for a week or two with the husks on, by the way, letting it dry out for a couple of weeks and then peel off one of the husks on one after that period of time and take a handful of the kernels and put them in a hot pan on the stove that has a bit of uh, oil in it and say four kernels. Do they all pop fairly quickly, fairly in unison? Good. Then it's ready. You can start canning that popcorn or reserving it. If on the other hand, they just sit there and burn, they're still too moist. So you want to wait until those kernels are at a point where they are popping quickly, fully, efficiently in that uh, hot oil on the stove. And uh, that might take another couple of weeks after you've peeled off the husks and let them again sit in a room with a lot of good ventilation. And uh, in my estimation, the best time to harvest the popcorn is the first week of baseball playoffs <laughs> in October. And by the time you're you're stripping the kernels off the corn uh, cob to uh, put in jars. That is usually 
uh, in the middle of uh, college football season, usually about the same week that USC plays Notre Dame, <laughs> I've discovered. So you use that uh, for your... Uh, <laughs> for your popping and and I don't know what'll happen but and about how many days it does it take to grow the popcorn plant from seed to harvest seed to harvest uh this you'd get that information off of a seed packet but I right. wondered if you just knew off the top of uh, your head yeah I, well basically late june is when i usually planted it because i wanted the soil at maximum temperature for Very warm to, to get off to a good start and, and then you and harvest in quickly. october harvest in around the first week so of july, october august september yeah. three and a half months yeah. or so so yeah 90 days 100 days okay and again wait until that stock turns totally brown and then you can harvest the ears. And then you use the stock to decorate for Halloween. Exactly. Oh, somebody will want them. Yes. Yeah. I, sell them. I, I never had to trash corn stocks when mm-hmm. I was growing it uh, commercially. Somebody would come by and say, are you going to use those stocks? <laughs> They're yours. Pull them out of the ground. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that would work. But Kevin, yeah, uh, good job with the popcorn. If you, Folks, if you've never grown popcorn, give it a try once and you would grow it just like you would sweet corn, but don't grow the two together. No. No. Otherwise, you're no, either going to- Broken gonna, teeth. Yes. You'll either have broken teeth or- mushy popcorn right so i would separate the two by about 500 feet good luck on that if you live in suburban purgatory right but uh try it uh growing popcorn one year instead of sweet corn debbie flower thanks for your help on this oh it's always a pleasure i always learn from you fred thanks We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. Here in the drought-parched west, as well as in other parts of the country, there are water restrictions in place that limit the amount of water that you can apply to your yard. Usually it's in terms of a day per week or maybe two days per week. Or the price of the water gets exorbitantly high if you go over a certain limit. In USDA Zone 9, if you live with those restrictions, you could probably still start a new lawn. Now, one of the tricks of starting a new lawn successfully is to keep it evenly moist until the seeds have germinated. It takes about two weeks, three weeks or so, before that happens. And in order to keep the soil evenly moist, you may have to run the sprinklers for a very short amount of time, maybe a couple of minutes, four or five times a day. However, that flies in the face of the rules for some of us if you have a water company that is restricting your watering. The key, according to Steve Zion of Living Resources Company, is let your water company know that you're starting a new lawn. A lot of people, uh, especially here in the West, their water purveyor, the, the people they get their water from have restrictions and you can't, and they say you can't water two, three, four times a day. 
And there are in most places, um, restrictions, part of the, part of the restrictions say that if you are, you know, starting a new lawn, renovating a new lawn or putting seeds of some sort down, uh, you can do that. Often though, you have to call, uh, your water supplier to tell them that you are doing that because in, in some areas, uh, neighbors call on, on their neighbors saying this guy's watering, you know, three, four or five times a day. And then the water police come out and will will fine you. Or if you convince them, and it's pretty usually pretty easy to say, well, I'm putting down the lawn. They'll say, okay, but you should, you're supposed to call us first. And uh, it just wastes the, the energy and time of the water purveyor by having to go out. So just, just, you know, call your water district if you have water restrictions or it's only, you know, twice a week. Let them know. If you're thinking of growing fruit trees, or maybe you already have your own backyard full of fruit trees, well, you probably have a million questions. Like which fruit trees will grow well where I live? What are the tastiest fruits to grow? How do I care for them? What are the most important things to know when starting a backyard orchard? Well, the good news is those answers are just a click away with the informative videos that you can find at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. At DaveWilson.com, you'll also find planting tips, taste test results, fruit variety recommendations, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, finding out what plant is putting on a show currently. And now that we are in fall, there are plenty of plants with the word autumn in their name, and not the least of which is a beautiful sage plant, a salvia with the name Autumn Sage. Warren Roberts is here to tell us all about it. And Warren, I love salvias. They're such easy care plants, don't require much care. Uh, about the only thing you have to do is keep them in check. Uh, that's true. And um, occasionally a little information, I guess you'd call that sage advice. Thank you. <laughs> you You're welcome. Uh, I think that of, of the in, in large genus uh, salvia, I've I don't know how many species now because a number of plants from other genera are now being put into salvia. For example, rosemary is now salvia rosmarinus, and even uh, Russian sage or Persian sage is now uh, a salvia. I think it's called salvia yangai. So its tribe increases. <laughs> yeah, what what happened to Perovskia? Well, it gets now a salvia. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I can't keep but, up with it. <laughs> no, it's hard to keep. It's hard to keep up with. To me, it's amusing. To me, it's fun. I, I, I because it's based on science. It's uh, it's worthy of our respect. Why well, so, was it based on science, or is it based on scientists? <laughs> <laughs> well, scientists, real scientists, if if they are true scientists, uh, practice science, which is evidence based uh, knowledge. Uh, so anyway, salvia, back to salvia. Okay, back to salvia, even though we could have a discussion about how plants get their name. And it sounds like uh, when they're trying to nominate a saint in the Catholic Church, you have bishops arguing with each other about the pros and cons. But uh, yeah. 
This guy, Greg, Salvia Gregi, the Autumn Sage. Tell us about that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just an aside, uh, determining saints is, is based more on, uh, how should I put it, uh, religion and not science. But yes. but the naming of plants is, is <laughs> supposedly based on science. <laughs> if you say so. so if I say, Salvia, Salvia Gregi was named for a, a botanist. Uh, who was active in the uh, 19th century, that is to say the 1800s, and particularly active in, in collecting in the Southwest. I don't have a lot of information off the top of my, my head about about him, but uh, there are a number of plants that are named for, for Mr. Gregg. Salvia Gregi, G-R-E-G-G-I-I, called autumn sage because it, it is in bloom in the autumn, but we found in the mild climates that we have here, in Central California, that Salvia gregi is in bloom almost all of the year. There is uh, an, another species rather closely related to it, Salvia microphylla, from the same part of the world that Salvia gregi is native, which is to say from uh, south central Texas and western Texas down across New Mexico, and including Arizona, and into Mexico itself. Salvia gregi is not native to California, but it's very widely used in horticulture here. And is widely it's, adaptable. Yes, it is widely adaptable. It It is from an area that gets summer rain. So in areas that are have Mediterranean climates around the world, uh, you will need to give it some watering during the dry season for it to be successful. I've noticed that on some years where you've had, a, in Mediterranean climates where you have had, a good winter rain and there's plenty of water stored in the soil that they can make it survive through the summer without much water at all. However, if you want it to be successfully blooming and flowering and growing, you do need to irrigate it during the dry seasons, uh, the hot dry seasons of the year. Flower colors range from a kind of a, I would say a rosy pink, kind of a dark rosy pink is the common color, I think, to pure red. And also ranges into the pinks, and there's even there are even uh, pure white selections. In fact, one of the easiest ones to grow uh, we have found is the white flowered form. Hmm. And there are some with multicolored flowers as well. Within in Mexico, especially in the mountains of Nuevo León, which is the uh, state of Mexico, oh, that uh, uh, where the capital is Monterrey. I say that roll the R because <laughs> there's a, an extra R in Monterrey in Mexico, whereas the one in California just has one. So you don't need so, to roll one. <laughs> no, no, you just flip one and you roll two. <laughs> oh, I, luckily, I learned to to speak uh, pronounce Spanish when I was a little tiny kid, so <laughs> it's come in handy. Anyway, Salvia Gregi is uh, the management of Salvia Gregi is when it starts getting a little bit. Oh, sprawly, or it, it just not looking too good. Uh, pruning the plant is is a good idea, but always leave some green uh, leaved stems on the plant. If you cut it back uh, to stubs with no with no leaves, that's often a death sentence. So it, the best idea is then prune it uh, lightly. I think that would be the way to, way to say it, and you'll have a very successful plant. One of the groups of hybrids between Salvia gregi and Salvia microphylla is called Salvia multiplication sign, which means hybrid. 
Jamensis or Hamensis, J-A-M-E-N-S-I-S. And there are a whole group of, of selections from that, from that cross. The hybrid species occurs naturally in the mountains of Nuevo León. And uh, people have gone into that area and found almost a rainbow of, of possibilities, uh, of color possibilities, or more than possible, they're actual, uh, that have been brought into cultivation. A number of other species in that area have added to the, the hybrid, um, I guess you would call it, history of the autumn sages. I won't go into the, those right now, but leave it to say that there is a lot of there are a lot of beautiful garden worthy plants in the salvia gregei, the autumn sage, and its hybrids. And if you plant one, you can take cuttings and make plants for your friends. They root very easily. Yes, and if you like hummingbirds, if you have <clears throat> hummingbirds in your part of the world, salvia gregei is a natural. The, uh, the salvia called salvia, salvia microphylla in Mexico is called myrto, M-I-R-T-O, which means myrtle uh, originally, but I think the plant was named because it has fragrant leaves. Mm, that's but true. The, Yes, and that, that's been cultivated in, in the West for a long time. The name for the hummingbird in the areas where that species is named is chupa mirto, means that it, it sucks on the flowers of the salvia microphylla. And uh, the, uh, the, one of my gardeners, when she saw the salvia microphylla and salvia gregei in my garden, she says, ah, mirto, she says. <laughs> and then she says, look, there's a chupa mirto that was a hummingbird fulfilling its, uh, the story. So it's a, a great pl- plant for attracting hummingbirds, a beautiful garden plant, graceful flowers all around winter. I could have a whole garden filled with sages of salvias, in- including the autumn sage. They are all that beautiful. Yes, and, and they're now including rosemary and Russian sage, <laughs> <Yes>. too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Autumn Sage, Salvia Gregi. Warren Roberts is with the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He is their superintendent emeritus for more information about that beautiful spot in Yolo County and parts of Solano County. Visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu, the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. Warren, thanks for uh, the sage advice today. You're certainly welcome, Fred, anytime. Because there are so many demands on your time these days, well, I like to keep the Garden Basics podcast to under 30 minutes. But still, there's a lot more to tackle on all the garden subjects we bring up on the podcast. So for that and a lot more, we're starting up the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It'll be on Substack. It'll go into more details about what you just heard on the latest podcast. So yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there'll be a lot more garden-related material and, uh, you know, probably pictures of my dogs and cats as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It's on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes, or just go to substack.com and do a search for The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's substack.com, The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. Did I tell you it's free? It's free. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. 
Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.